like let's say for instance i've worked with a couple of clients who were primary caregivers of someone with terminal illness that can quite often represent as a burden metaphor and you're not going to say to the person who's you know primary caregiver for their husband dying of terminal cancer uh, just let it go it's like that's bad advice for that person that doesn't fit the situation and so that's the the image that comes up when you're talking about the sort of surfer bro approach to death, which kind of makes sense. It's like, yeah, just let it go. We're all going to die. And it's like, but that's actually a huge burden with which we have to contend. We have to find the means to bear under that burden if we're perceiving it as a burden and simply dropping it isn't going to happen. We are back for part two with the one and only Chandler Stevens. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed part one. Part two is, yes, it is a continuation. And I think we go deeper. We go deeper into ecosomatics. And we go deeper into Chandler's specific perspectives on a lot of things. <clears throat> we touch on Buckminster Fuller. Um the attitude of stewardship. You got to use your big toe. <laughs> I'm just going through the notes a little bit randomly here. I'm going to highlight a few very specific ones in a second. Um, his work is, he, he plays a lot with language, which is part of why we had so much fun. Neurotic, he changes it to ne now, neo or neo-erotic, neo-erotic, N-E-U-erotic. Um, the atomatized individualistic view is a uniquely quote unquote Western. That's a good, that's a good line. There's a couple references to how I didn't fuck it up too bad. That's a fun one. We got chuckles at least. <laughs> um, Chandler has a background in studying psycho psychology. Um, so Freud comes up. Uh, let's see. There's so much and it's worth just getting into, but I do want to just point out two key things here. The, I think this is the real highlight. This is almost a direct quote. What if we could find ourselves and prioritize understanding ourselves, not just as the individual, but as the literal act of relating we would never feel homeless. We would never feel separate. We would never even understand what, I mean, the concept of homelessness and separation would be dramatically different, if not obsolete. It's a good goal. I'm with him on that. It's a good goal. Bottom line, though, no matter what, is love yourself, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. And that's a lot of where this conversation goes. The need the under the the reality that no matter what that's what comes back do you love yourself can you love yourself what does that even mean and with that here we go let's go enjoy do 
Do you hear that when it says that? Yeah. Yeah. And I get the little pop-up that says, you know, Colin's asking for permission to distribute your likeness and soul and essence across the, the world wide web. Yes, the world wide web. The, the world the world wide web? Commonly known as the the internet. The WWW. We could do that all day, couldn't we? Probably. <laughs> we ought not, but we could. <laughs> <laughs> how so how does your setup relate or um how does it differ from a brick and mortar arrangement at this point? I uh it's an interesting question. I was actually really curious um, for years about whether it would be possible to run an internet business without any social media. And it seemed like the, the perfect thing if I could crack the code. But I, you know, I started out, I had a studio in Cincinnati. I had a studio in Kentucky. I've owned several brick and mortar places before. And um I'll just fast forward to how it works now. I actually have a sort of analog version to a digital business where um, we talked about the autoresponder last time we were chatting. And it's like, I don't do a whole lot of email at this point. Um, one of the most profitable things I've, I've done for my business is actually a print newsletter that I mail each month, like a tangible hard copy thing. Um but I, I managed to prune away social media pretty much entirely um, about midway through last year. And then there was like the occasional post. And then by the end of last year, it was like, no, this isn't, isn't necessary for me at this point. Um, I, had, I had built a couple of things that basically made it easy for people to talk about and refer to me so that I didn't have to be the one talking about and, uh, you know, doing the whole song and dance thing on on the gram or on tactic or on any of these things. I, uh, <laughs> you're, you're an 87 year old too. Yeah. You're an old fart as well. I'm a, a fogey, a fossil. Your mm. sense of humor is more old manish than mine. Probably that's, <laughs> that's hard to beat. I've been called old man since I was, I think 20. Mm. Speaking of, but it's, if it's, if it's an old soul, that's a compliment. Old man is like, come on, you're boring at parties. Old soul is like, oh, you're so wise. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> what has the morning been like since it is just now high noon? It's almost bedtime, but you've had the whole morning. What has it's the high noon? I'm about to head <laughs> to get my discount dinner at the uh, senior center. Uh, <laughs> No, the morning today has actually been quite nice. I um, Yeah, what's a Wednesday morning for Chandler like? A Wednesday morning is the movement is metaphor teacher training. So I, it's, it's actually a funny thing. It's morning for me, but the morning session is when all the Europeans hop in. And we've got a South African, you know, we got the, but it's that chunk of time zones. And so I say, good morning, everyone. And they're like, it's not morning. We're actually, uh, <laughs> we're missing dinner for this. So get to it. Um I know we just spent uh, two hours or so digging into some questions around anxiety, some questions around um, how do we actually, you know, do work that we're proud of as independent business owners? Uh, how do we weave in some of the body stuff? It was uh, it was a good time. Wednesdays are sort of our in-process, open-ended, whatever's going to come up, come up kind of session. Mondays we have a little bit more focused lecture oriented kind of thing but 
Well, those sound like some important questions, though. Did you get any good nuggets worth sharing? Any kernels of gold, nuggets of gold? Nuggets of gold. Well, we spent some time on Monday, at least, talking about um, Freud's idea that anxiety is the universal currency of affect. <laughs> of course you did. Of course we did. But we, we were getting into the mechanism of, well, how the uh, hell does that come to be? Because okay. Freudian yeah, yeah. theory leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, did you study psychology as a like intensely or just as a sort of Well, I'm working hobby. on a doctorate in it now. Yeah. Um, you're, it, it was, you're working on your doctorate in yeah, currently. Um, it was a hobby until, you know, I just feel like there's some things you can only get away with if you have a doctor in front of your name or the PhD after your name. And I want to get away with that <sighs> shit. looks like yeah. they're having a fun time. Uh, so, What are some of the things you want to get away with? Well, I, we touched on it a little bit last time, but this, um, this nobody has trauma idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's quite sound, but... By God, in some circles, it's like you can't say the word trauma unless you're you're a clinical psychologist, which stands to reason. There's a lot of garbled stuff out there, um, a whole bunch of malarkey. Media. Yes, especially on social media. Yeah, and I feel like there are there's some doors that are opened for you if you have a graduate degree because it is. I mean, by God, it's a lot of time and attention that you have to direct toward it. And that's not something most people are willing to do, I think, uh, or able to do. How far along are you in your program? Uh, I am in the the second year of this thing, which is, it is what it is. It's fine. It's an all right setup. <laughs> um, I'm doing, uh, admittedly, the, the bare minimum in terms of coursework, um, because I, I'm not interested in the, the sort of academic learning of it. I mean, I see a PhD as kind of a useful social currency, but um, the so books... utilitarian, if you will. It's, it's utilitarian, yeah, yeah. I get that. I think college is for a lot of people at this point, too, mm -hmm. for better or worse. Yeah, yeah. Bummer. But yeah, it, it seems like long-term <laughs> for, for what I'm after, being Dr. Stevens would be a, a useful thing. Mm even if I never practice as Dr. Stevens, um, you know. So long-term though, what are you after? I, and I think the ecosomatics again. Again. We, dang we dangled that carrot for part one quite a bit. Indeed. So I'm assuming yeah. you're wanting to build on that, right? Yeah, that's that's the long-term move for me. Um, I, I, I sort of reached a point in my work where I realized I can either develop a practice as a coachy sort of guy you know, Chandler Stevens, the dude, which is all well and good. And, and there's some, some real value to that, I think. Um, or I can take this other direction and try and develop an actual like educational organization. And that's really the thing that I think is, um, that's going to help me meet death a little better. That's going to help me be sitting there dying and think, did I do anything worthwhile? Yeah, there's that. I, you know, I, I, I put that together that can hopefully outlive me. Um, which is also partly what I'm doing the teacher training for this year with folks is like, you know, let's, let's build a, put it this way, my long-term move. I would love to be just theoretical director for a bunch of badass clinicians who are like, 
doing really good work. And then we've got like this great case formulation and discussion series. And like, that's the thing. Yeah. Rock and roll. So you're in the process of respectfully building your street cred so you can develop the Professor Xavier-like school for um, gifted whomever, whatever, and All change, change yeah. the world as efficiently and effectively as you can. So at the very least, the bare minimum, your dying words can be, I did my part. I didn't fuck it up too bad. I yeah. didn't fuck it up too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the deathbed filter really is, it's something I use to organize a lot of my decisions. It's like, man, deathbed, is, is this going to be the thing that I want to lose sleep over right now? All right, you know, so because we're doing such a great job unpacking egosomatics again, um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down that rabbit hole with you for a little bit. Yeah. I, I'm perceiving, I'm curious what you think about this. I've been noticing this almost like I don't think it's appropriate to call it a cult. And cult isn't necessarily bad. I think we all kind of live in a particular in a cult, whether we are aware of it or not. The cult of being an American, the cult of the nation, the cult of connecting as, as some kind of identity, um, however conscious or unconscious it is. So, and I don't think that you're probably far off with some of the relevant terms of anxiety and trauma and things that link the the cultists or the people, the members of said cult. So anyway, in the last like year in particular, year and change, there's a lot of things that I've been, I, I'm always looking for patterns and like the consistency because I think you can discern something more important from that. But the specific pattern that I'm curious about here is, do you notice and do you maybe even add to this that a lot more people are uh, and I can name names, but it's probably not helpful. Um, we know we actually did mention one of them in part one, Charles Eisenstein. But generally speaking, like, there's a lot more people who seem to be saying, why are we afraid of death? Hey, that's sort of the attitude how I perceive it. Like, hey, why are we so afraid of dying? That's kind of mm. <laughs> that's like the bro vibe that I pick up on it. And I, I know that I'm a little critical of it when I do that, but I'm also not condemning it. I'm just acknowledging it. Like, it comes across like surfer dude, like what's so, come on, we're going to die. Why not embrace it? It's like, do you, do you notice that? Yeah. Now that you name it, I, I, I do get a sense of that. Um, and if, you know, if I had my druthers, I wouldn't die right now. <laughs> you know, if I could do anything to avoid dying right now, I would probably do that thing so as not to die right now. I don't want to die right now, but um, but I do think that the the sort of gripping fear of death is maybe what like it's a precondition for the surfer bro response to death. I mean, people have got to be losing their shit over the fact that we'll die in order for them to say, "Hey, man, don't all cool. We're all gonna die." It's like, yeah, on the one hand, we are all going to die. It's the final bookend with which we have to contend. But um, I don't know. I I don't know that I'd be so lackadaisical about it. So laissez-faire with my approach to death. But I do think it's an important filter for us to wonder, you know, how am I going to meet death 
without a gripping sort of anxiety? What can I do to ensure that I'm, you know, I always think it's sort of clean of the residue of that anxiety. Well, I, I think that's the tone some of these people are attempting to strike. I think that's the message that they're attempting to put out there and in there, like, they're probably not PhDs, yet they are. They're probably more coachy type, as you put it. I like that. Like, <laughs> um, person or blank, first name, last name, the dude, as you said, Chandler Stevens, the dude. <laughs> there are a lot of, like, this per- first name, last name, the dude out there right now. And sometimes I'm one of those, I think, in a way, but I, I try to keep a like relative introspective uh, um, vibe going as well to make sure that I'm, I'm cla- at least not taking myself too seriously and not um, forgetting to question my presuppositions. So with what I'm rambling about here, I, I notice, I think that is the vibe, but it comes across more, or that is what I believe that they're attempting to say, but it comes across more to me as we should, and that's the key, I think, we should specifically not be afraid right now, or we should re- respect that death is going to happen and it's mixed in with, again, I don't want to control where this conversation goes because it is actually important to get, talk about ecosomatics. That's why we're doing a part two at the very least. <laughs> but there's this should that, that uh, has a, almost like um, the, the inevitable sort of uh, fabric is woven with like Velcro to freedom. Like you're afraid and therefore you're, you're losing your freedom. Like, that's the particular texture I perceive a lot. Like your fear of death is is especially limiting your freedom. That it just see, and that doesn't seem like a fully fleshed out argument from anybody that I've noticed. It seems like a fairly reactive, oversimplified attitude. Yeah, there's Yet almost important, important casual yeah. quality. <laughs> it's like the guy who he, you know he's got his arm propped on the bar a little too much, and it's like you're not. You're not relaxed right now. There, there's nothing <laughs> chill about you. You're, you're trying way too hard to let me know how chill you are about this thing. Well, and that, and that speaks to what I think why I get a little like perturbed about it. It's like, I'm not sure I trust it. I think there's a disingenuous um, element to it that I'm not confident is, is that they're aware of. Like, you know, they haven't read Elusive Obvious, maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. Probably not. Who the hell's read The Elusive Obvious? <laughs> not a lot of people. Yeah, probably uh, not. A, not enough people for sure. I, that I, you brought that one up in part one, didn't you? Or was it the? Didn't you bring that up? One of us one? did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. Do, do you know that I did? Actually, yeah, we mentioned that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that's my favorite writing of his for sure. Mm-hmm. Awareness through awareness through movement is great. Um, they're all great, but that's the one. Yeah, that's the really sweet one. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the thing. The elusive obvious would be, in a way, what you're not willing to see, or you're not aware that you're not seeing. So, mm-hmm. therefore, yeah, maybe you are being a little disingenuous about something. But I'm not quite sure what they're being disingenuous about. I have a suspicion, but I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. But it seems it like it's, yeah. Go ahead. Is it that they're the Illuminati? Like, what, what's your suspicion? Yeah. 
<laughs> my suspicion, honestly, the simplest way to put it, as as which I usually suck at doing, um, especially when I'm thinking out loud, knowingly so, is that they aren't recognizing the complex the uh the difficulty of being a this i'm using the lingo that is often that i'm often hearing from these kinds of um dudes and people in general they're not respecting the inherent challenge of being a so-called sovereign individual which i believe is a term i hear a lot from this kind of crowd if you will and having a culture and having or having a functional society they're not really thinking about the inevitable challenges that come up or could come up in operating that way it's almost like an excessively i slash me based perspective i think it's essentially christianity flipped on its head where the individual sovereign is god and there's no more there's no more consideration or concern for um, authority in a in an unjust or sort of arbitrary way. The unjust and arbitrary nature of God as the authority figure is being flipped on its head. And, and it, but uh, and so this is, is like them as the authority figure without any quite like the, yeah. they as individuals as the authority figures. Yeah, is and I, I think that's kind of just flipping conventional Western. Um, Mm. conventional western paradigm on its head in a way unintentionally though mm -hmm. and therefore that wasn't an easy thing to say i didn't make that very simple but you could probably you're good at translating <laughs> well what, what's coming be up my translator me, chandler <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll see if i can can take a stab at it i i had the the image come to mind in um there's this guy andrew austin who developed this body of work called metaphors of movement Similar and, to what you are. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'd been developing this idea of movement as metaphor. And a guy told me, this sounds a lot like what Andy Austin's doing. And I thought, <laughs> what the hell? Okay. And he's coming from like a sort of NLP and primarily psychological frame yeah. toward this sort of embodied metaphor idea. Um, and I was coming from the sort of embodied and I just thought, wow, we, I knew that it was a great thing when I heard him talk about Gregory Bateson's steps to an ecology of mind. And I thought, thank God, another person has read this. Okay. Like kindred spirit. But one of the, the primary taxonomies that he talks about in people's situational perceptions, uh, which are metaphorical in nature usually, is if you ask someone, hey, what's it like, this problem you're dealing with, he refers to it as a burden taxonomy where it's, it's like I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. It's like I'm carrying a huge rock around. It's like I've got this backpack full of stones. And the funny thing about these burdens, the, the conventional wisdom would be, hey, let that shit go, man. Just you know, drop it. And he makes the really astute point that for the person in the, the burden metaphor, the burden can never just be set down. Like, let's say, for instance, I've worked with a couple of clients who were primary caregivers of someone with terminal illness. That can quite often represent as a burden metaphor. And you're not going to say to the person who's, you know, primary caregiver for their husband dying of terminal cancer, uh, just let it go. 
It's like, that's bad advice for that person. That doesn't fit the situation. And so that's the, the image that comes up when you're talking about the sort of surfer bro approach to death, which kind of makes sense. It's like, yeah, just let it go. We're all going to die. And it's like, but that's actually a huge burden with which we have to contend. We have to find the means to bear under that burden if we're perceiving it as a burden. And simply dropping it isn't going to happen. That's great. Yeah, there's so much in that. That was really, really great. And obviously, you know, we maybe talking directly about ecosomatics as if it's like, well, here's the spiel it isn't necessary yeah. or even um, why we're connecting. I just want to respect the fact that obviously that that came up a lot in part one. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, a yeah. Fa- it's kind of what to use your reference to Andrew, Brent connected us because of that. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, everything you just said, though, there's God, there's so much so much and yeah let's just go further with that then so i think i always want to make sure that i don't sound condemnatory or or critical because i think a lot of these kinds of like surfer dudes and quotes and these bros if you will that i'm noticing more especially again in the last year and a half i think there are there's there is a incredible of course amount of self-awareness it would be ridiculous and arrogant at least to suggest there isn't with especially with respect to what you just said that there's there are different ways to handle the reality of mortality obviously (laughs) i guess kind of a big fat duh (laughs) (laughs) there are there are different ways though to handle a lot of things and the, for better or worse, oversimplification that I keep coming back to about this these questions is, well, to, the, to whatever extent we are committed to allowing for and even supporting and even pushing for, and in the context of the body, we can experience all of that, or at least the allowing and the... And the um, inducing or the pushing, if you will. To whatever extent we do that just on a quote-unquote individual scale or micro scale or like in the body, like bending a certain way, fine. But you have to, I think, you have to respect that inevitably has an effect on everything else. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, not just sometimes but inevitably and i guess i just am not convinced that there's enough consideration of that reality of that as the foundation for how to even go about exploring um any of these questions really but at the very least this whole individual sovereignty and freedom thing i'm not Mm. sure there's enough consideration i don't perceive enough consideration in general not that i'm you know of course i'm not the i'm not the one that gets to judge what is enough here i'm just questioning is it enough yeah yeah it seems like one of the more difficult things for us as a as a critter on earth is wrapping our heads around context yeah 
I mean, it's always a, a very difficult thing to shift one's attention sort of upwards in a, a sphere of care. I mean, the ah, here's where we can weave in some of the ecosomatics bit. Thank one God. of the things that I thank <laughs> God. Oh, finally. I um I think of ecosomatics the it's a it's a praxis whose aims are essentially the broadening, the deepening, and the emptying of the individual. Now, those are all nebulous concepts for the time being, but let's 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 sum it up by saying uh, I was working with a client the other day who said something to the extent of, you know, when I'm kinder to myself, it's easier to be kinder to other people. And if we have a difficult time attending to our own needs, broadening the sphere of care is a really difficult thing. And taking into account the context and the context of contexts in which we find ourselves. And, you know, that sort of infinitely goes upwards as well. Um, it's a really difficult thing. But I think that that's one of the more worthwhile aims we could set is like, how big a sphere of care could I sustainably maintain? How much of a, a give a shit could I bring to the places where I spend my time, the people with whom I engage, uh, the broader ecosphere? I mean, they're, they're hard things because there's so many trivial details. Like I stub my toe and my world just goes, all I am is a painful toe in that moment. And I don't give a damn about the polar bears right then and there. Uh, but the logical conclusion of enough people not giving a damn about anything beyond themselves is, well, a system collapse. Yeah, there's a almost unintended, not nihilism or not even passive nihilism, but just like, what's the best word for it? Um, yeah, a denial in a way. There's like an unintended denial of, of something that seems to take place with all of that, specifically the denial of nothing's really getting accomplished <laughs> or is it like, is anything really getting accomplished? Hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. But arguably, yeah, but you could make an argument that depending on the context and again, that's exactly right. The context, I agree completely. Yeah. You have to be considering the context. So in the, depending on the context is anything quote unquote getting accomplished Totally hard to say, almost impossible to say, because you have to be aware of, well, maybe something's happening that you just can't see, something beneath the surface. But on the other hand, maybe you do see it, and maybe the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of the confusion that drives people to even just want to have things be extremely simplified and just get into a survival mode because it's so friggin' clarifying and there there's no need to be considering more than just taking care of your stub toe or your um leaky basement or like the the clarity that comes from something so just critter-esque as opposed to conceptual is extremely i think appealing to people more than maybe <laughs> it has been in a while and I, I get it. I believe the question really at this stage, one of the best ones that I'm aware of is to what extent can we 
evolve i don't know the best way to phrase it but to what extent can we evolve such that we have a, we feel the the joy of of purpose without the foundation of fight or flight black and white either or and morality hmm. that seems to me like what we're trying to untie <laughs> in a, mm-hmm. you know, in general yeah yeah that's a that's the thing i've been curious about when you say purpose well, what's purpose what's meaning what, how do you how do you conceptualize these things i've been thinking yeah. about that a bit lately i'm gonna just have to think out loud as i hopefully you are too because again depends on context i think it's just obviously really it bring it brings you know the blue zones of happiness um purpose pleasure and um pride i think are like the three p's that the the blue zones um across the world the research that was done on those those communities of course you know longevity was the the overlapping detail and then happiness is like okay what do they have they have a sense of purpose a sense of pride in what they're doing and they get pleasure in they find they find incredible consistent pleasure within that context so I guess I assume, not just for that, not just because of blue zones, but in general, that feeling a sense of purpose and the, the, um, yeah, the the history of wanting purpose and for humanity itself to uh, need purpose seems, I suppose, there's a, an assumption on my part that it's inherently good. That's about as far as I think I am at the moment with it. It's just there is clearly something that is good about it. The question is what's it. So I don't even know if that's true, of course, but it seems like it is. I mean, it beats uh, the inverse for sure. Purpose, <laughs> activity. I mean, that doesn't sound all that great. Yeah. No, and I brought up nihilism. Some, you know, not to name drop here, but clearly we're okay with exploring these in depth. Though I think Nietzsche did a good job unpacking passive nihilism to active nihilism to just not having to be operating in that either or black white morality construct um i think he he might have been right about that in a you know to oversimplify it and first off does that mean any does that make sense to some extent i i'm not well read enough in nietzsche to to Talk too much about it. I can empathize with the fact it might that might be the first time I, I mentioned him in any podcast. By the way, <laughs> I, uh, I I've got beyond good and evil and genealogy of morals, but I've not yet cracked them open. Well, there you go. That's kind of it. Of course, you can hear that in the titles, right? Mm-hmm. He's mapping out the morality and he's discrub- discussing a potential to be to go beyond it. It's kind of implicit in the titles. So, I think there is something extremely at the very least provocative about that potential. And it seems like it's been provocative for thousands of years, the capacity to operate or have a sense of meaning and purpose without being in the, what people now might call fashionably like tribal mindsets or the us versus them mindset. And Hmm. clearly if like you're saying your scope is how big a scope can you manage? How large, uh, uh, world can you consistently even imagine can you go beyond just the pain in your gut or your toe or the fact that you're out of food um 
hopefully, and I think that's what people kind of want, I think the ability to be able to reach people, more people and people in a more fulfilling way seems implicit to a, um, a well-organized and, you know, human critter. seems like it. Um, so, yeah, now that we kind of inevitably think globally a lot, um, I know I was going somewhere with that. I wonder about that. I mean, I, I think we we think about the idea of a global society quite often, but man, acting as if you were a part of a world, that's a really difficult thing. Yeah, I, I hope, a part of me hopes that it's not impossible. It is obviously challenging. And it seems like it's, it seems like it would be better to some extent, but again, not losing your, not losing the ground though, not losing the sense of the, no, maybe it's a matter at the very least of being able to do both. And I don't know. I think we're trying to map that out to some extent as a, some people are like, can you, that, that's the whole point of those cliches of think, act, think globally, act locally. I think that's kind of the whole point. So seems like a good idea. So purpose, though. What do you think about purpose? <laughs> You've been noodling on it. it seems. I've been noodling on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, earlier this year, maybe last year, I, in one of those little print newsletters, I wrote this essay on sense of purpose is found in the big toe. And I was just sort of riffing on the idea of that which propels you. And so, you know, in, in normal gait, you've got this sort of organization around the big toe as a primary driver. And, you know, you speak of a person as being driven and all of this, and they're clearly purposeful in their actions. And maybe that's the sort of person who can take strides, whereas the person disconnected from the big toe or disconnected from a sense of purpose takes these kind of awkward shuffling steps, fumbling about through life. But it, it seems to me that it's, it's also roughly synonymous with meaning, which is something like the, I mean, I borrow again from Bateson on it, but it's meaning is that which contextualizes the stuff within it and is also contextualized by uh, our activity. It's sort of the, the organizing aesthetic of our experience. If we can find a way where the pieces seem to fit together, well, then we've probably had a pretty meaningful life. But if at the end of our lives, we're left with like a heap of parts, maybe that's not so meaningful in that case. Yeah, then you won't be able to say, I didn't fuck it up. You will not be able to say that in that case, yeah. Or you could say it, but it might be, it might be less uh, believable. You might, mm -hmm. you might have a harder time believing it. Others will have yeah. a hard time believing it. Well, that's the macro micro sort of point of it all. Like you don't want to just inherently destroy or become, I would say dysfunctional. I know that's a perhaps overused term, but I am speaking of it from the primarily Feldenkrais context and not necessarily some sort of like, <laughs> I don't know. I know some people get scared, like, but if we, if we're only 
like what are you do you are you gonna like have some sort of genocidal attitude towards the dysfunctional like you may i love that little sound that you gave in part one about like the, the little fascist within it <laughs> mm-hmm. um the right wing totalitarian authoritarian which somebody pointed out to me technically fascism specifically is a right wing so to speak uh construct so but authority <clears throat> the authoritarian the totalitarian the tyrant within us all maybe is a different way of saying it yeah the point isn't i think the point's clear no matter how you word it um so knowing that you I think most people want to inherently, yeah, have a sense of kind of like the way I heard you describe it is not order, but knowing that they're organized, things are organized, things are moving well is obviously the metaphor, right? Hence movement as metaphor. There's a moving well and there's a moving not well. Is it? Mm-hmm. It's always too oversimplified when you put it in the basic words, but functional, dysfunctional, moving yeah. well, not moving well. It, what's coming up for me is this this other idea. In, in, I mean, if folks are curious about the, this sort of lens on meaning, Gregory Bateson wrote this essay called Style, Grace, and Information in Primitive Art. It's really good. It's one of the texts we went through in the teacher training, and I said, substitute the word movement for art every time you find it in this essay and you'll have a pretty good view of what you can get after as a as a facilitator of movement practice but he mentions that meaning sort of provides it's like an arbitrary slash across which you can predict with better than random chance of success what's going to be on the other side it's like a tree has meaning in the, the ground is a sort of slash, and I can bet with pretty good odds that there are going to be roots underneath of that. Even though I can't see them, there's a sort of organizing aesthetic there where I can predict that there is something on the other side of this. And so it seems like one of the things about, you know, finding your purpose or finding a sense of meaning, whatever the hell these things mean, is like, look, the world's going to seem to you to be a pretty random place until you can find some predictive organizing capacity within it. Not that you have to know how everything's going to go, but then when the unexpected occurs or when you encounter the elusive obvious, you have the capacity to kind of reshuffle your frames of reference to accommodate that new thing. That seems to be what a, a, a flexible, effective, functional sense of meaning would be. Yeah, and specifically it comes back to context. It comes back to kind of a, well, why I look for patterns. Like what is inherently meaningful no matter what I bring to the table, no matter what my beliefs or assumptions or prejudices or presuppositions, and no matter what that person's beliefs or prejudices and presuppositions. And it takes a, if I hear you correctly, it takes a lot of, um, it's kind of just a willingness to be honest in, in general. And I, I guess I think it's, it's a kind of, implicit when I think about it, but it's maybe not obvious. Like, why do we even have to ask these questions? Well, to some extent, the way I would 
think about it. We are having to ask these questions because we don't have a shared sense of what is inherently maybe meaningful or purposeful or what inherently matters. We don't have a shared sense of that. And there are that the lack of that shared awareness has consequences. It has, it plays out a certain way. Um, And you don't even have it within yourself, seemingly, a lot of the time. We could, I think we need it, hence the blue zone reference, uh, to whatever extent that's important. But yeah, I don't know if it's obvious that we don't have that. I don't think it's obvious enough that we've maybe never had that to a certain extent in a certain context, but we definitely see, and I don't think enough of us have it now. And what I meant by that is like the, I, the fantasy of some time in the past when everything was better, everybody got along, everybody's needs were met, everything, everybody was on the same page. Like I'm not, I'm not aware of that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that that seems like a sort of romantic fantasy. Um, yeah, I don't know that we've figured out how, certainly at this scale of population, how to make that feasible. I mean, there, what, there's the, the Buckminster Fuller line about, you know, it's got to work for everybody all over the world and all this and yada, yada. And it's like, yeah, that's, it is a great ideal towards which we could strive Um Someone can Google that. Buckminster Fuller said something about that. But, <laughs> but at this scale of population, we've got a hell of a challenge. Um, and, you know, we can look around at um, income inequality and inequity of access and opportunity to different things. And we can see that we've not done a great job figuring out how to make um, how to make a f- fair shot of it for for this level of a population. And I wish I had a better way to phrase that. Maybe it'll come to me. Well, we're we're playing with it. No. But it, so is it fair to say that to a, a large extent and you used uh, another I just referenced your little that nice soundbite about fascists and, and t- I forget how you said it, killing or, t- or being aware of the little fascist within us, the little tyrant, I'm going to re- say, mm. um, the little authoritarian. You, you said that last when we uh, did part one and I, I, that really stuck out. You also acknowledged that um, the learning process for people you work with isn't inherently pleasant or fun or enjoyable. Um, at times, like it's not necessarily going to be uh, rainbows and butterflies, so to speak. Yeah, we have a good time, but yeah, it's disruptive. Fair. Okay, there you go. So with that in mind, with that, you know, knowing that, then is it fair to say that to a large extent, needing to consider the context of yourself and yourself as a quote-unquote individual which to some extent doesn't even make a whole lot of sense and yourself in relationship to everyone and everything like you kind of have to be considering both at once is that sort of an inherent part of what you are bringing to people and ecosomatic so to speak and movement as a metaphor seems like it's pretty relevant to you yeah 
It's, it's very relevant to me. And I'm also aware as a facilitator that, you know, what's relevant to me doesn't matter at all for the, the person that I'm working with at that point. But, but I find that this, this sort of attitude of stewardship, this attitude of you give a damn about the neighborhood, uh, this is something that r- really can only be cultivated through like a, a, an affect-driven experience. Like you got to feel why it is valuable to not throw your trash on the streets. I mean, we've all been sort of inundated with the messages. Masks. Of I just picked up, I pick up masks all the time. Not the, yeah, not trying to open that can of worms. Just, yeah, there's so much. Oh, new yeah. New trash, especially. A whole lot of new trash. You've got to yeah. give a damn. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And it's, it's not feasible simply to be told that you have to give a damn. Right. That doesn't work. You've got to discover why giving a damn might somehow be of intrinsic value to you. Well, this is why purpose is, I think, what we're unintentionally talking about. Because I, I don't see people often, except for those who clearly have a sense of the ground and have a sense of that which is consistently rewarding, um, they don't seem to have a sense of purpose that's really, in my opinion, feeding them. In fact, it seems like it's doing the exact opposite a lot of the time. And my God, I mean, the statistics that keep popping up about and just mental health and loneliness and specifically for people is, and I don't want to ignore that. It doesn't seem like it's a good idea to ignore that. Um, and I think not ignoring it inherently also means you have to ask why. And of course people are asking why, but I think what we're getting to is a, is incredibly significant for the why and specifically pointing out like it wasn't like there was some magical time before where everybody was fulfilled enough and even if some people were more fulfilled then clearly this is changing and we have to come up with something new and i think part of what's especially challenging in this moment is there is increasingly less and less reason to um have faith in the old ideals, if you will. So therefore there need, maybe there needs to be new ones. And I don't know as the, you know, we are actually young and older people might say, yeah, this was, people have been saying that for a long time. Like, well, I don't know. It seems different now because I hear it from older people too. Mm-hmm. Actual older people, so to speak. People who have been around a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking back to when you mentioned the, the question of, I mean, are things getting better? And it's like, well, on, on the one hand, we can say, yeah, in that, you know, more people have access to clean water than before, global, you know, numbers of individuals living in poverty, that's shrinking. Like, we're, things are improving by some of these sort of convenient markers. But the question that I always have in my mind is at what cost? I mean, are we are we improving the GDP? And this is a, a really gross exaggeration, but are we improving the GDP at the expense of the overall survivability of the planet? It's like, it doesn't matter how many people have access to clean water if the world's on fire, quite frankly. Like if the biosphere collapses, our rates of literacy don't mean anything. 
if any well, that's that's the point meaning you just it's, it's yeah. built into the language it's built into the conversation what's yeah. actually meaningful depending on i mean we need a perspective essentially we need a agreed upon perspective about how to even relate to the con like to meaning mm -hmm. which you just pointed out obviously start off with bio life right <laughs> yeah i don't know of a better place to start you just started there implicitly yeah i mean it, it seems like if any component part of a system can disrupt the functioning of the broader system that's pathological I mean, that's what takes place in cancer, right? You know, these cells disrupt the functioning of the overall organism and the organism dies. And therefore those cancer cells die too. That's, that's not a good strategy for a thing. But it, it seems that we have a, a difficult time enacting that. Uh, like we've been saying, I mean, if, if the consequences of my actions aren't obvious to me and apparent to me in the moment, I don't have the feedback necessary to adjust my behavior. I mean, how the hell am I going to know if turning the car on is melting the ice caps? I don't see the ice caps melting. I have these proxies and proxies of proxies according to which I'm supposed to adjust my behavior, but that's, that's hard. There's not really a feasible way for that to take place, I don't think, that we've found. And that, I know it's not apples to apples, but for my own little selfish reasons, I'll just point out, that's why I get particularly a little perturbed by the surfer dudes who's focusing more on quote unquote freedom and the, um, the argument about, you know, we're all going to die and starting with that. It's like, great, but it doesn't seem- But does everything all have to die? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in a way it actually gets to that sort of nihilism that I'm- uncomfortable with witnessing and then not it's not on purpose it's just i'd rather we agree yeah there everything will change and we can perceive that as death and we don't have to get into the spiritual um questions that go with that but we obviously want to maintain the um the reality of life and and built into doing that is this this and this this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can we just focus on this, that, and the other thing for now? I think everybody probably wants to focus on this, that, and the other thing. There's just seemingly... Well, if that were true, what's in the way is the question. Why aren't we? And well, I think it's a cognitive distortion. Like what comes to mind, Nassim Taleb writes about this in, I think it's in Skin in the Game. You know, he'll ask a group of 100 people, um, how many of you think that like dying to you is probably the worst thing that's going to happen? You know, out of any bet you're going to make, it's like you could die. You know, most people raise their hands like, well, yeah, that's the worst kid. You know, who cares about losing money? I could die. That's the worst thing. And he says, no, the worst thing is you die and your husband or wife dies and your kids die and your hamster dies and your neighbors die and all of that. That's the worst case scenario in this thing. But again, because of our sort of, what do we want to call it? Encultured myopia. We have a really difficult time seeing that it, it's actually not the worst case scenario if we die, but if everything dies, that's way worse than just us dying. But it's a hard thing. Again, it's a really difficult thing to wrap our heads around. It's not, 
It's not our, our first line of inquiry. Again, therefore, you have to be conscious in this model that we're organically exploring and, and sort of shaping. You have to be conscious of yourself in at least two ways, probably three, maybe even more than that. Yeah. So I'm hosting the Super Consciousness Conference, Conscious Conference Con in uh, 2022. I've got it all figured out. Sweet. <laughs> Who's invited? Who's invited? It's just, where is it going to be? Just me in yeah. flowing white robes. That's that's all. Yeah. Nice. That sounds good. Sounds great. Yeah. Who doesn't love a good flowing robe? I I dressed as Jesus for Halloween once and I went on the subway in New York City. It was actually shockingly not uncomfortable. I was really surprised how not uncomfortable it was. New York's not fair though. You can get away with literally anything. That's where I started curling my mustache. It was on a weekend trip to New York. I was like, I'm gonna test it out there. And yeah, uh, nobody nobody cared. No they one cared. They didn't even notice. Nope. Yeah, I think people noticed, but nobody cared. Nobody said anything to me. Hmm. It was Halloween. probably the third Jesus they saw that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> real. He's headed to the convention. That yeah. I was headed to the consciousness convention in two thousand. That was two thousand seven. Yeah. So that was the first one. First one. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. Huh. Um. Good news and bad news. Yeah. What's what, that? What, which one do you want first? Uh, bad news, I guess. The bad news is I forgot my laptop charger. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the good news is I'm no having more a carbon bl- emissions for you. That's I'm the good news. Ha- I'm having a blast. We've got <laughs> 11% left on the laptop. What did you say? That no more what for me? No more carbon emissions for you. That's the good news. You know, yeah. things are going to die and then. <laughs> Uh, so what do we do? Do we just run this until we kill you? Is that how it goes? Or do you need? No, we can do that. Yeah. But we'll, we'll just, yeah, that, that's like the, um, the, the last, that's like the last song. And then we're encoring here. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah. The, everybody just cheered encores like, woo, woo. they're back on stage. <laughs> uh, I can only hope. Yeah. Yeah. We get into some unexpected little uh, important nuggets here. Yeah, taking the scenic route. Yeah. I think this is essentially what somatic education does mean. You know, to use that word again, it's what it means to me, like understanding your... uh, The intention would be to bring more awareness to the reality that I am simultaneously myself and that which is around me and the relationship is the key understanding the relationship of myself and and my environment including the people around me and um primarily or at least to some extent yeah living with that awareness if not identifying with that awareness is kind of the intention I'm probably actually, I would say identifying with that because I think that is actually the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
back what I mentioned a little bit ago that the concept of an individual doesn't even make much sense just because of the I think the very at the very least just the fact that there are microorganisms in the microbiome and like well you're not you're not you on your own you're not just you why would you think that you're just you it's kind of ridiculous um for better or worse some doctors they they have that thing next to their name just like you will someday are pointing that out quite a bit some have even pointed out that the i guess one of the key moments in our evolution if not like the third or fourth one specifically is the realization that we are filled with microorganisms Mm -hmm. So the the power of the microscope. They had the telescope way back and now the microscope and what we've learned should change our concept of identity, our concept of ourself. Theoretically, it should change how we think of ourselves as ourselves, if not for the tyranny, if you will, of (laughs) thinking of oneself as just oneself separately, Mm -hmm. absolutely separately. Yeah. And of course, none of this is new information for the species, right? Like outside of the the Western model that, you know, everyone's accustomed to. It's like, this is just sort of like, oh, yeah, you're just now getting to that? Okay, you get the peer-reviewed <laughs> studies to convince you of that fundamental fact of being? Great. All right. And meanwhile. <laughs> yeah, are you... Are you- referencing anything in particular i can imagine maybe ayurveda or taoist taoist wisdom yeah i'm thinking every every worldview outside the western one what? You know, the, the sort of atomized individualistic view i mean you know you have uh, different bodies of knowledge in every sort of indigenous community on earth but they all sort of hint at this it's like yeah you're you're a part of the damn world you came from it not into it you came out of the world and you're going to go back to it at a certain point. Um, yeah. It does. Now seem we're that, back to death, though. Now we're back to death, though. But it's cool. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, we're going to die. It's fine. <laughs> it does seem like one of the, the main tasks is to see if we can find ourselves not just as the, the standalone individual, but if we can find ourselves as the act of relating to the floor, to the sunlight, to you on this screen of all things, to the water I'm drinking, to this, to that. But if I can think of myself as the act of relating, that helps me not really feel homeless ever. I can localize myself. I can situate myself moment to moment. And that's, that's a balm for anxiety. It seems. Tiny claps, I suppose. I can make it louder. (laughs) It's a balm for anxiety at the very least. It may very well be the necessary perspective for, I keep using the word evolving, but I think I just don't have a better word. Um, what other perspective could even make sense with the information that we have before us? Like you'd, you would have to be operating with, as you said, like some kind of 
cognitive distortion or cognitive dissonance. Like it's crazy in a way to not think that way, to not identify that way. It's kind of nuts. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to a large extent, unless you're attached to some concept of yourself as separate, as not the body or as secondarily the body, primarily something else. And maybe as, um, I, I'm not sure if there's a third way to say something that's different. Um, nothing obvious comes to mind, but those two at the very least, what else makes sense? Well, like you said, it, it makes no sense to think otherwise. And circling back to what you said, like that's the point of somatic education it's to bring us back into the sensory, the sensuous, the sensual experience. And it does seem like there's, maybe this is where a lot of the, um, I don't know, some of the, the meaning-making conversations or the sense-making conversations out there, they drive me nuts. They seem to just devolve into these like random abstractions. And it's like, no, 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 you make sense by returning to your senses. That is the fundamental square one nothing makes sense devoid of your sensory experience and that's that's what we have access to through somatic practices well unless you do that second thing which is sort of unintentionally negate mm -hmm. what you just said whether you're doing it on purpose or not it happens mm -hmm. if you're prioritizing something else like okay well then we're not even operating based on the same like with the same narrative and paradigm we're not even operating with the same foundation Mm -hmm. which is actually i think what's happening a lot oh yeah yeah wildly different value systems just smashing into each other and well, not only those... value systems but value systems which are um built upon actually different and and inherently <laughs> opposed belief systems really mm -hmm. unfortunately okay yeah the, they're not, they can't, there's a way for them to um, reshape and reform, I think, to, to have a complementary integrative relationship. But it has, I don't see any way for the re, I don't see any way around that reforming and reshaping, which would make them different, which would mean they're not the same as they were before. And yeah, the values are based on that, I would imagine, or most mm -hmm. of the time. What's an example of something that you've heard? I'm, I'm curious. It's fun to see you make cheeky remarks about things. What's an example of something you've heard that uh, dry, drove you nuts? Um, uh, I don't like to throw any particular people under the bus. No, you don't have to name names. I've been careful. Yeah, but, but, but one of the things that, that comes up quite often. I only mentioned Charles and Gabor Mate because I actually respect them, of course. So well, yeah. I'm not yeah. going to mention anybody that I. I mean, now that this is our second talk, I may be willing to to say things a little with a little bit more sass towards some people, but you don't you don't have to. <laughs> I well, and and I think even beyond you know particular individuals or organizations, one of the main things is that the body gets paid a kind of lip service, where it's like, oh yeah, you got to be embodied. But then I I went through this particular program. It was like three thousand dollars for the thing, and one whole week was basically, and I kid you not. The week's practice was try box breathing, try buteco breathing, try this breathing. It's like a paragraph description. And I'm like, 
you know, I don't want to crunch the numbers here, but that's $500 to have a paragraph that says, try this breathing. That's it. So it seemed kind of, kind of cheap and disconnected. It's like the idea of the body is a good thing, but the actuality of embodied experience, like, Oh boy, well, that's, that's something else entirely. So this is a can of worms. We're not going to be able to unpack fully right now, but I think to some extent you're hitting on, or you're touching on the, um, the potential challenge that does come with, for lack of a, a, a better way of saying it, capitalism or the concept of everything needs to be a resource or a commodity, which is one of the main things I do love about somebody like, um, I mentioned Tristan Harrison when we spoke as well, Tristan or Charles and all, and, and even there's a you know, Russell Brand for God's sake. I, I'm occasionally intrigued by where he's even, what he's even exploring um, beyond uh, uh, Get Him to the Greek, which is still a hilarious movie. Um, and the music is, is timeless, but the, one of the things that I hear a lot of the people that I respect pointing out is that, yeah, we, and it goes with these foundational belief systems that there's an inherent commodity, everything becomes a commodity because it's just inevitably getting filtered into or, or placed into this way of thinking that suggests there's a a means to an end essentially, which relates to your reference of cognitive distortions. And, and that to me is also one of the key, if three, if not maybe four or five, um, foundational details that needs to be prioritized, which is that there's no ending. I would highlight there's an inherent newness to literally every single moment. Uh, and, including you as you there's there's no ending there's constant process or continuity and that flies in the face of the that fact flies in the face of the the very drive to commodify everything as if it could be a means to an end it's like no it couldn't be and, and maybe it could be part of this process but not a means to an end so back to the lip service of the body yeah i think i know what you're saying there and uh just becomes fashionable or, or marketable and completely essentially irrelevant to the potential for a, a experiencing oneself not just in a new way but we could probably say it better than that experiencing oneself as life itself i don't know of a better way to say it off the top of my head but not as a part of life or as a as a tool of life or a function of life but just as life itself and that's that's almost like what i might even sometimes be like desperately striving to like um like tease out moment to moment with people and with myself is that the ability to just experience not just but to experience myself and others as life more mm -hmm. which doesn't seem fictional at all seems like the thing i th i believe again people want mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's probably the most concrete thing about our experience but we just we veil ourselves from it so easily but we don't have but we're to. gonna have the secret for that in part three right but it's <laughs> behind a paywall <laughs> Because you know, yeah, we got to make 
Now it's behind a paywall. Well, we do have to make cheddar because of the way that we've structured things right now. And that's why I brought up capitalism. Again, wasn't part of the original. We didn't plan to talk about it, but it does beg the question, as many people have, of course, pointed out, and, and increasingly so, again, in the last year and a half, especially, and and from more and more like um, perspectives and like the the range of like the diversity of um, like who's questioning this problem just because it's hard to make ends meet, just because it's hard to pay the bills, just because it's hard to feed the family, uh, which is a great catalyst, of course. I mean, not great because of the suffering and the challenges and the anxiety that it's that come hand in hand with it and the potential death, of course, that's not the great part. But the potential for us to see maybe this yeah, we've all been aware, or enough of us have been aware that this make this doesn't necessarily make sense. And uh, I'm always aware that we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But you know, Buckminster Fuller, you brought him up earlier. He was—I don't have the exact quote either, but he's known for having pointed out that there's there's no actual good reason for anybody to be starving at this point there's no good reason for our needs as a species to not be met full stop at this point and there isn't <laughs> there isn't yeah aside from the fact that it's really hard to care about people <laughs> it's really hard why, <laughs> why do you whatever think reason. it's really hard do you think yeah, do you have a short answer for that? I think most people are probably just caught in their own neurotic binds. And I, I've been well, then I would ask, why are they caught in their <laughs> neurotic binds? Well, I, yeah, I mean, it gets a little circular, but um, yeah. I've been toying with the idea of neurotic as um, maybe spell it N E U dash E R O T I C. N E U dash E R O T I C. Oh, new erotic. So, so we might interpret it as like the, the loveless neurotic, the individual who has no love, no erotic quality within their life. Mm -hmm. And most people are so separated from a capacity to love themselves that it becomes impossible to love another. And I think that's where the whole, the big revolution that most people are so hungry for is sort of doomed to fail if you expect it to come from the top. It's like, if you think you're going to vote in the, the utopia in which we're all attended to, you're kidding yourself because you can't impose love from the top down. You have to learn how to love yourself and another person. And that's, that's a painful process because it means not turning your attention from those parts of you that, that have been so unseemly or intolerable for so long. I like you bringing it back to that. I think we'll intentionally um, wrap it up there as well as with how you highlighted the, yeah, you, you, you've brought that up a few times, especially, which makes sense given where you're coming from with understanding trauma and thinking about healing, right? It's about healing to a large extent. I'm glad you keep bringing it back to that. And the need, the fundamental need, there's really no getting around it to love yourself and of course that requires an understanding of yourself what is my who am i what am i i'm 
I don't know how you could love yourself without that. And it's, it's obviously necessary to, to embody that and to experience what it's like. And it's, it goes beyond box breathing, but of course, breathing is the thing you have to do all the time. So start with that if you can, right? Breathing is the only thing you have to do. Yeah. I like how you said that though, just at the very least, um, find ourselves not just as the individual, but as the act of identify as the act of relating and identify as the act of relating to yourself as well, because yes, you really are. You have the only way you can be of service is to love yourself. And you can only do that if you understand yourself and feel at home as yourself. And I think, yeah, that's a really sweet way to wrap up what somatics essentially, not wrap it up, but to pause for now, as far as like what somatics yeah, we solved it. We solved it. Let's go. Let's go be done now. <laughs> let's go jump in the lake. Lake Champlain. <laughs> lake Crescent Lake. No, I was going to say Champlain. No. Champlain, that's in Burlington, Vermont. That's not the one. Yeah, I've been in that one too. Not surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> I liked Crescent Lake more though. Mm. Bur- the, yeah, Lake Champlain is is more like, it's bigger, I think, but it's, mm-hmm. the, and probably this goes hand in hand with that lake crescent lake is is, as you know gorgeous um almost like glacier within the mountains lake champlain is just this big body of water that has just a big body well it has more built it's more developed right there's a little more development around there's a beat there are beaches and things whereas i i remember crescent lake is more like a norwegian fjord Mm. (laughs) not literally but you know I was going to say, I can't compare. I've never been to a fjord. Well, you might want to someday. And I I recommend especially the Norwegian fjords, but I'm sure they're good in Iceland and elsewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I don't know if you know this about me or what I do in general, but the... um, my relationship with getting in cold water is pretty fundamental for me, so... Uh, I, mm-hmm. I reference things like that a lot. And I, one of the first, before I knew what I was doing, long before I had even heard of Wim Hof and, and, and then learned about all the other relevant uh, whatnot and brands, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, way, way, way back before I knew of any of that, I jumped in a fjord and it was one of the most memorable things I've ever done. Hmm. Um, and it was probably you know, essentially my first ice bath. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was very cool. It was, it was freezing, arguably. Uh, yeah, I was 16. Very, very memorable. Mm-hmm. May, have one, may have been one of a few things to set the stage for becoming a chronic ice bather. I always thought it'd be fun to make a parody video of him, Woff, the nice man who only takes bubble baths like hot. <laughs> Me baths and you have your own breathing exercises that go with that too. You go, ooh, ah, I thought that'd be pretty good. I think you should do it. Would you not integrate the like grizzled, um, old weathered wizard voice that he has? And you, you would have like a sweeter, like childish, like buttery voice. Oh yeah, we're gonna do a thirty-day bubble bath challenge where you let the the soft animal flesh of your body love what it loves, or whatever the Mary Oliver poem is. Something there you go. Like 
Occasionally, yeah. So it's different from, you're just breathing, man. You're just here to breathe and get in the cold and feel the blood flow. Get it, let it flow. We're just here to love the flow, man. It's good. You like it? Yeah. So you're going to reverse that. I'm going to have the opposite of that for, for the nice the nice man in my bubble baths. <laughs> Although, to be fair, Wim is uh, smiling usually when he does that, and, and uh, he seems very kind. I haven't met him, but he seems kind. Mm. I get that impression. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but it, for him, it literally does come down to love, self-love as well. I think that is... F- why that you know it is millennia in the making it is the consistent foundation for it, for all of it there's really no getting around it <sighs> boring <laughs> <laughs> up at, uh, near you is the suzuki foundation closer to you in canada um <laughs> david suzuki and he yeah he kind of played with that and he joked about how it's like yeah it is it is boring and i i honestly don't know any other de- other way to look at it like it's as hippy dippy as it sounds it really comes down to love at the end of the day and he was laughing about how he like he kind of because he can riff for you know years about the stratosphere and the realities of like the particular elements and how like one of them has literally been around since the dinosaurs and you're breathing in dinosaur farts. And he can explain that in the most poetic way possible. He's like, look at the end of the day, none of this matters because it is about love no matter what. And, um, Hmm. that stuck with me when he said that, but yeah, just, I think he's up in the written British Columbia. Anyway. Um, well, you're about to die. I think I'm about to. Yeah. Computer-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it there. All right. Yeah. And I I like that. new. How would you pronounce it? Neo-erotic? I would just pronounce it neurotic. Same way. But I would would know there's a little secret dash that makes it mean something a little different. Beautiful. Way to play with that. Good job. Talk with you later. We'll see you soon. Good enough? Yeah? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Likewise. It was good seeing you. Bye. Okay. Thus concludes, for now, our time with Chandler Stevens. Um not going to say much more. I think it's worth looking at his website in particular and finding out uh, if you want, if you want to go engage with him directly, just connect, reach out, connect. He's very relatable, very approachable, very funny, very smart. And if you happen to be listening near somewhere, or if you're somewhere in the Pacific Northwest and you're listening, you might even be able to go see him in person easily. But he does plenty remotely, and he's very, very worth connecting with, to say the least. Thank you, Chandler. I really have enjoyed getting to know you i think we will do a part three if you're up for it looking forward to it and i'm gonna leave it with that our next episode uh is with (laughs) some local fellas and i'll tell you more about that in the next introduction see you all soon thank you so much